So I know they're used to playing on all these other instruments. I am not, so I was really nervous about that. Um, but uh, this morning, I'll be honest, I didn't expect uh, Sunday mornings to look like this the first time that I uh, got in the pulpit, but here we are. Um, and actually, this service looks a lot more like what we would expect our normal Sunday morning services to look like. This morning uh, at 9 o'clock, we were a little thin. I don't know if it was the rain that kept people away, but uh, maybe they slept in, slept through their alarms or something, and y'all came here. Either way, it doesn't matter. We're here. Um, you know, the, I think I got all my nervousness out in the 9 o'clock service, or, or maybe after playing drums, you know, that, that really did a lot for me. Um, but, you know, I've done some Sunday nights here and there uh, where I've been up here, so uh, I've got a little bit of experience being in this pulpit, but truly the Sunday mornings are important because as, as ministers or as somebody that, that gets to preach the gospel, this is the time of the week. This is the day of the week that the most people get to hear it, and so it is special this morning, and, and so I'm just glad to be up here. Um, right now it's just a little different looking, but that's okay. Uh, and like uh, Bill said earlier when he was up here, if you haven't already, I want you, and you'll not hear another person in the pulpit tell you to do this, I want you to get your phones out if you plan on attending uh, VBS this year. I want you to go ahead and get your phones out, and I'll show you how easy it is to register, because as of when he was doing his announcement, I checked. There are five people registered, and one of them is me. So... <laughs> We need, we need more people to register, uh, but uh, you go to elizabethchapel.org, and you click on the menu, and then you click VBS, and then there's your registration. It's, it's a sheet you put in your name, you put in the class that you're going to be in. If you have parents, you put in your parents' name and their phone number, and uh, you put, uh, I think if you have any allergies or anything like that, and you click submit. That's it. If you want to do another one, it says submit another response. So if you've got your phones and you're planning on coming, please go ahead and take care of that. Um, and once you get done, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to be Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Now, if you're, if you're on your phone doing this, I'm going to be in the ESV, the English Standard Version, um, if you would like to uh, switch over to that version to follow along with me. Um, I know Brother Joel uses NIV, and sometimes he will use ESV, but uh, this morning that's what I've been, been in, so that's, that's what I'm going to use. Um, while you were getting there, uh, this, this portion of this passage of Scripture that we're going to be in is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is considered one of Jesus' first uh, times where he, he gets to minister to a large group of people. You see it because it's at the beginning of the book of Matthew. Uh, there's a multitude following him, but we're reading the end of it right here, right now. But we're going to go back. We're not going to just uh, just read the end. We're, we're going to go back and look at the rest of it. The only problem with that is for me to really cover the entirety of, of the sermon, we would need a few weeks. I think when I did it with the youth on Wednesday nights, I think I took five or six weeks maybe doing that. But uh, I got to looking back and, on what I had talked about when I did have Sunday nights up here. And I think Joel planned it this way. I never realized it, but we've always had this second week of July as our youth Sunday. And so I'm sure every one of you remember 
what I said exactly on July the 7th of last year, because that's what I had. And I know my mother and sister-in-law are laughing at me because I told them I was going to tell this joke. The only reason I know what I said was because I write everything I say down. It, it is there. I don't read it, but it's there so I don't get off, off track. But I'm sure y'all remember very clearly what I talked about that night. Not really, but the, the only reason I remember it is, again, because I got to go back and read it. So what I talked about that night was Jesus should be the top priority in our lives. We have busy everyday lives. And I know that night I targeted youth pretty much and, and how they live. So they've got school. They've got sports. They've got jobs. They've got friends. It's really easy for us, even as adults, we have a lot of these same things going on. Maybe not sports as much anymore, but, but we've got a lot of things going on in our lives that can keep us from being here on Sunday mornings, here on, on Wednesday evenings. I know right now we're not here on Wednesday evenings, but if you haven't been watching America at Risk uh, with Brother Joel on Wednesday nights, you need to go back and watch. He's done two weeks already. He recorded those before he left, and so we've got another one coming up this Wednesday, and you don't want to miss it. Um, but it's really easy for us to put other things in front of, of Jesus. And, and that was my focus that night. But one of the things that I missed was answering the question of why. And, and that may seem like a simple question. It may seem like why, because he saved us, because he, he died on the cross for our sins. Yes, yes, he did. And that is a simple question. But to the extent that he saved us is something we don't realize sometimes. And that's why we're going to be looking at, at this Sermon on the Mount. So, uh, if you don't mind, if you would stand with me and read, starting in verse 24 of chapter 7 in Matthew, it says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not do them will be like a foolish man, who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, not as their scribes. Dear Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word and, and what it can teach us, Lord, and I pray that you bless this reading of your word, that you uh, use it in our lives, and, and you uh, just prepare me and prepare these here today to, to receive it and to grow closer to you because of it. And Lord, I again thank you for this day and the ability to come here and worship you. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, y'all can be seated. Um, so one thing that I always stress when I'm upstairs teaching the youth is to understand the context of the scripture that we're reading. And in this instance, reading the book of Matthew, right? The book of Matthew is one of the four Gospels. Well, the four Gospels are typically what we use as stories about Jesus, right? They, they are um, based on the life of Jesus. The problem is a lot of times we consider those to be biographies when the Gospels aren't biographies as we would see them. The analogy I used for the youth was uh, a 
biography of Abe Lincoln saying uh, just about his life would start with his birth and work all the way up, and I don't know his history, but it would end up with him, you know, as president or him uh, getting assassinated at the end and, and working through it that way and then his legacy on beyond. But you would have to think of the gospel as more like a book that says, and I'm not saying this is true, I'm, this is not an opinion, but saying Abraham Lincoln was the best president or why Abraham Lincoln was the best president. There is a point trying to get across in that book. And that's what these gospels are trying to do. They have a point. They have an audience. They have a reason that they were written. And you see, the book of Matthew was written to a specific audience. It was written specifically to the Jews. We know this for a few reasons. First of all, because it's the first book following the Old Testament. And another reason being that out of all the Gospels, and even if you want to include all the Old Testament books except for Revelation, it has more direct, indirect allusions you know, calling back to the Old Testament than any other book in the New Testament. So obviously, he's targeting the people who know the Old Testament, and that would be the Jews. So we know that Matthew uh, is writing to the Jews, and when you look at this sermon, when you look at this passage of Jesus preaching to uh, these people, he, you have to look at it through the eyes of those that it's intended to reach. And so let's go back and look at a few of the things Jesus says uh, as he goes throughout this sermon. And we're not going to hit all of it, but we're going to do our best to hit his main points and get the focus of what Jesus is talking about. So we know the Sermon on the Mount begins with the Beatitudes. A lot of people know these. You're very familiar. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And Jesus continues on with these Beatitudes. And one of the reasons he starts with them, I think, is that it, it kind of sets a, a pace for what he's about to do in their minds. It, it kind of confuses them, honestly, because they have always lived a certain way to believe Pharisees, scribes, those who weren't poor in spirit, those who weren't meek, were blessed. They were, they were the, in the spiritual hierarchy at the very top of the ladder. But Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who meek. Those who don't have anything to give back. Blessed are them. And then... He throws another curveball at him. If you look at verse 20 of chapter 5, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that's pretty tough, because we look at the scribes and Pharisees, and the Jews looked at the scribes and Pharisees, again, as that top of the religious hierarchy. They had, it, they had done it all right. They had lived by these laws that had been set forth in the Old Testament, and they were righteous. But Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds them, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the word never there is a very emphatic word never. The Greek word that they use is very emphatic, meaning never ever are you going to get there. So then he scares them with this, saying you've got to be better than 
those that you consider the best. And next, Jesus takes these commandments that they've grown up living by and takes them a step further. You look at verse 21. It says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Judgment meaning the death penalty, by the way. Um, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus took something that you, know, you and I on a regular basis don't struggle with. We don't struggle with, with murder. And takes it and puts it, instead of it being the physical act, to what's happening in your heart. What's happening in your heart. If you're angry at someone, you might as well have murdered them. He takes it to that next step this commandment that they've grown up living by and adds an extra piece to it. And then he said, You have heard it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And over and over and over again, you see Jesus taking these things that were commandments of old, that are in the Old Testament, that to the Jews, to the Pharisees, to the scribes were the law, they were everything. And he adds, make sure your heart's in it too. Make sure you know what you're doing. And, and he says, if, if you continue on, you know where it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek. If somebody sues you, give them more than they asked for. If somebody asks you to go one mile, go two. So he continues to stretch and and not not stretch because this is his word the the old testament was his word it's all inspired word of god and he tells them what it really and truly is about and that's what's in your heart and it terrifies this crowd just like it should terrify us if we are sitting there thinking i've got to live this otherwise i'm not going to be righteous enough to get to heaven it should terrify us And the reason we know it terrifies us in the verses we read earlier in verse 28 when it says, and Jesus finished these saying, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. That word astonished is translated from the Greek word ekpleso. The Greek word ekpleso means to strike out, to drive out, to be struck. And I like to think of it as a gut punch. This isn't the, the happy We've left and, and been, had this revolution, this or, uh, revelation of wonderment because of what Jesus said, and we're all happy and, and leaving. No, he had just scared them. They were astonished. And the reason they use the word astonished is where we get the word astonished comes from Latin. And that Latin word is extonere, which means to strike with thunder. Now, if you were here in the 9 o'clock service, right before, I, like as I started talking, thunder boomed. What If we were standing outside, what would we have done? We'd have jumped and we'd have ran for cover. We'd have ran right inside this building because we were scared of that thunder. And so he has scared it. And, and especially if you, if you continue to look through this, this sermon in verse 48, Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. 
Now, if any of you can say that you live up to that, I, I don't, I mean, why are you here? Because nobody can. Nobody will ever live up to that. And not only does Jesus say you have to keep these commandments perfectly in the heart, he says all the things that you do righteously, you have to do perfectly in the heart. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other men in order to be seen by them. Skipping down a bit, it says, uh, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. How are we supposed to do that? When you're putting money in an offering plate, can you confuse yourself enough that you can't see that money going in? No, that's not what this verse is about. But before I go on any farther, because all this stuff sounds like, and we can't do it, so what are we even trying for? That's why we started in verse 24 of chapter 8, or chapter 7. That's why we started with the whoever hears these and does them has built their house on a rock. When that storm comes in your life, when that thing comes that's going to break you down, your house is going to stand. But if you don't do these things, you might not do them perfectly. You might mess up. You're going to mess up. But if you try to do these things, you're going to build your house on a rock. But if you don't, it's like building your house on the sand um, and your house will fall. But see, the problem is a lot of times we read this as something we try to obtain, that, that we can attain by doing all these things perfectly. And the problem is if we do that, we're setting ourselves up for failure. But failure isn't the end of this story. So we remember gospel, or the, uh, Matthew is writing to the Jews. He's writing to a group of people that have lived by the law, for the law. That was it to them. They were to abide by exactly that. And Jesus goes and says, yeah, but it's not just about what's written down. It's about what's in your heart. And, and if it's not perfect, it's not, you're not going to be good enough to get there. But Jesus goes and comes down from the mountain in chapter 8. It says he come down from the mountain. Great crowds followed him. And what's the first three things that he did? Number one, he healed a leper. Number two, he healed the servant of a Roman centurion. And the third thing he did was he healed many that were demon-oppressed. And why, why is this important? Why, why is this something that we should be worried about? Well, a leper in, in their culture was about as low as you can get and still be a Jew. It doesn't say whether this one was a Jew or Gentile, but a leper was unclean. They couldn't come in the city they couldn't come in the temple. They couldn't even worship God. They wore a veil over their face. They shouted unclean as they walked uh, around. They, they could not be a part of the fellowship that was uh, there at the time. Yet this leper came to Jesus. What he did say was, can you heal me? No, no. He said, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. He had faith that even though he had nothing to give Jesus, even though he hadn't been in a temple to present a sacrifice for his sins, and, and I don't know how long, he had nothing to give back to Jesus, no righteousness to give him. And Jesus looked at him 
picked him up, and he said, I will be clean. Not just healed, be clean. And then the next thing Jesus does, he takes uh, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, on top of being a Gentile, he was a Roman centurion. That was bad to, to what the Jews would see. To their viewpoint of this was not a good thing for him. And he comes up to Jesus and says, my servant's sick. I need you to heal him. Um, and and uh, Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion responded and said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you even in my house. But by only saying the word, you can kill him. You can heal him. And what did Jesus do? He saw that man's faith, even though he couldn't even bring him. The, the Roman centurion knew, I'm not even worthy enough to have you in my house. I'm a Gentile. You know, this, isn't, this wouldn't be good for you. This, this wouldn't be good for others to see you in my house. I can't do anything to... I can't give you anything. But I know you can do it by only saying the word. And what does Jesus do? He sees that man's faith and he heals his servant, who is probably a Gentile as well. So lepers, Gentiles, lowest of the low on the totem pole for Jews. There's probably one group of people that was, that was just as low. Um, and we'll get to them in just a minute. But Matthew, as soon as he get done, gets done telling them, about this Sermon on the Mount. He's talking to this Jewish audience saying, you know, your righteousness isn't enough to get you there. Your righteousness can't get you there. But that wasn't the end of his sermon because this great multitude, this great crowd followed him and watched him go to the lowest of the low, the lepers, the Gentiles, and lift them up and heal them, even when they had nothing to give. The ones who haven't spent their entire lives following the law, the ones who haven't presented sacrifices for their sins, they didn't have it. But Jesus, seeing their faith in him, cleansed them and and healed them. And there's one group of people that I would say that was on that same level for the Jews. And Jesus even talks about them back in the sermon in chapter 5, verse 46 and 47. He says, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even Gentiles do the same? Jews hated tax collectors. Tax collectors were Jews that had chained sides to the Romans. They'd gone over to the Romans and actually started taking money back from the Jews. They didn't like those people. They were traitors. And... The reason I'm bringing this up, because the person writing this down, he's talking about how Jesus preached this sermon of a standard that we are called to live by, which is perfection, and the impossibility of us to reach that, but yet he follows it up with healing those who were so far away from the righteousness in the eyes of the Jews. But who better to write this book than Matthew? It says when he was called by Jesus in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. You don't have to flip there. I've got it. I'll read it to you. Um, It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth and said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Levi is the Greek name 
for the Hebrew name, I'm sorry, the Hebrew name Levi is the Greek name Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a Jew who had chained sides to the Romans, had been taking money from his fellow Jews, and Jesus said, follow me. And he did. And then Matthew writes this down of how we aren't going to, no matter what we do, our righteousness can't live to the standard of what we're asked to do. And he knew when Jesus said those things that he was supposed to put the story of Jesus healing a leper and a Gentile. And then, if you remember the third uh, group of people that Jesus healed, after he healed Peter's mother-in-law, he healed a group of demon-impressed. And he said to them, or that evening, they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And instead of, uh, at the end of this, he quotes, he, who took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Bore our diseases. In uh, Isaiah 53, chapter 53, verse 4 is where this comes from. And I'm going to read that to you. It says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds... We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So, when I go back to my original question, why should Jesus be at the top of our priority list? He saved us from so much more than we could ever even realize. The ability for us to reach perfection is is not there. And yet Jesus came to earth. He came here and lived a life that it was never possible for us to live. Because Because of the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden, there was no way that we were going to live a life that was completely sinless. And he came to this earth, went to the cross, took our sin, past, present, future, sin. Put it on his own shoulders and was crushed for our iniquities. He was pierced for our transgressions. And that is why we should live with Jesus as our top priority. You know, I hear a lot of people say that uh, we should live out the gospel or live the gospel problem is that's impossible. The gospel was this story of Jesus coming to earth. The gospel means good news, and news has already happened. We can't live what's already happened. We can't live a life of perfection like Jesus did. But because of the gospel, we can live. Because of the gospel, we live in a way that represents Jesus and brings glory to Jesus. Because we fall short, because we aren't perfect, We're no better than a leper or a tax collector. But because of his sacrifice, because of his grace and our faith in him, one day when we stand before God, ready to face our judgment, Jesus, just like he did for the leper, 
can walk up and say, be clean. And we're going to stand before God, perfect and righteous before him. And if you're in here today and, and you're thinking, um, yes, I, I have put my faith in him and I haven't uh, been trying to live what he has, this altar's open for you. If, if you're thinking, I can't do this on my own and, and it's been, it's been a, a long road and I fought hard and I just, I'm not there. It's not hard to do. It, becoming a Christian is placing your faith in Christ. There's no process leading up to it. The process starts once you place your faith in him. And so don't let that stop you. Don't let the people watching you come down the aisle stop you because I guarantee you we're all rooting for you. If you're a Christian in this room, you've experienced this time. And I know Brother Joel's not here. Isaac, if you want to go ahead and uh, sit down. He's going to play the song that we sang just a minute ago, Yet Not I, But Through Christ in Me. If you're here, I know I'm not Brother Joel and not uh, the one that's normally talking to you, but every Christian in this room has experienced this moment of faith, this moment of placing our lives into Jesus' hands. And we can talk to you. We can pray with you. We can pray for you. And just come take this time to, uh, to be with him and, and to pray for him. This altar's open. Um, I'm going to pray for us real quick, and uh, I, continue, I hope that you sing this along with and pray throughout the time for those that may not know who Christ is. Dear Lord, we, we thank you uh, for this time. We thank you for this day that we can come and worship you. We thank you that you send your son to, set, to live up to that standard of perfection that you require of us. And Lord, I, I thank you that you took our sins on your shoulders and paid for them there that day on the cross. And Lord, I pray if there's somebody in here who, who knows that but hasn't placed their faith in you, Lord, I pray that you tug on their heart to get them to come and today place their faith in you. Lord, and I pray if there's somebody in here who has put their faith in you but, but needs just a change of, change of heart in the way they've been living, Lord, I pray that you do that as well. And as we go from here today, Lord, I pray that you are in everything that we do. We can stay busy, and we can do a lot of stuff, but Lord, as long as you're the purpose for everything that we do, that's what we're about. We are about, we are living because of the gospel, because of what you did for us, Lord. And I thank you for that, and I thank you for all the many blessings that you give us, and it's in your son's name that we pray.